Good afternoon. This is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague. We were gone there for a little while due entirely to my own issues. I was ill and then I was in hospital and then I left hospital and now I'm back. We did actually record a podcast during the week that was meant to go up, although sadly it was not suitable for broadcast, both because I was too ill to actually edit it and because in my feverish delirium, I may have defamed two sitting senators. <laughs> okay. And not only did I defame them, I dragged Michael into defaming them with me. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I, 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 I was pulling hard back from the edge of that cliff. I don't think I've ever heard you sound so uncomfortable in a <laughs> podcast. And not like small defamations. Things that are true, but haven't been proved in a court of law or reported in the media, and which they would absolutely have sued over. Ah. Okay, so that didn't go up. I'm so happy about that. No, I was too ill to actually uh, to do the editing on it. You see, the Holy Spirit acts in many, many in mysterious ways. But we are now back. I had a, uh, I had a wonderful time in St. Vincent's Hospital, Michael, on uh, Wednesday, which I want to talk about shortly or for a brief period before we go on to the news there was just one little thing i wanted to to mention one little not even a news story michael just a you know just a shout out for some good work i saw Uh, i don't know if you saw this michael what's this well cork michael yes Cork has had a great pr victory they managed to get and this is bizarre totally bizarre they managed to get xi jinping to launch a video promoting cork tourism. <laughs> yes, I saw this. Oh god. I yeah. This is problematic, should we say? Yeah. So Xi Jinping, the head of the of China, the Chinese Communist Party, goes to the uh, China International Fair and Trade Services and he launches this video. I mean, which will be seen by god knows how much of China's population who are very heavy consumers of tourism products, uh, basically shilling cork. They managed to get a man who is not the most powerful man in the world, but is arguably the most powerful man in the world. He's certainly the most powerful man in China. He's certainly the most powerful. <laughs> yeah. That's, it, that's something you don't want to forget in China. No. I don't know. It's a bit odd. It, it, I mean, this is the... This is the same week or so that where people have been wondering whether or not it's should we go to see Mulan because of uh, the filming that was done in, near the region where the Uyghur uh, Uyghur 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 people Uyghur people are being subjected to. Uh, you've said that multiple times. You've never made a mistake on it before. There you go. I think it's been quite since we talked about them. The Uyghurs and are are being uh, subjected to. What looks very close to a genocide. Well, you know, it is it is uh, <laughs> it is interesting that you say Uyghur, Michael, because it turns out, and I only realised this from reading the Cork Examiner, sorry, the Irish Examiner's uh, take on this, and it says that the local authority in Cork had signed a special friendship agreement with the Chinese eastern coastal province of Xinjiang, which has a population of eighty-two million, and it said that's one. It's you know, it's a very densely populated. Uh, industrial thing, a uh, province. So, of course, Michael, 
the first thing you do is you just Google Zing Yu Uyghurs. Okay. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Michael, Zing Yu is absolutely one of the places that China has been sending Uyghurs to um, work camps. Oh, God. Yeah. And do you remember there was talk about how when the country started to lock down, they'd been sending Uyghurs and other minorities to keep factories running because it doesn't matter if they die or not? Yes, yes. Same province. Oh, dear. Oh, God. So, on one hand, this is legitimately an incredibly impressive PR coup by Cork. Yeah. Unfortunately, I this has a sort of Hitler shilling Disneyland in 1936 or, you know, 1935 look to it. Yeah. You're just on the cusp of like... It's not good. It's not good. Uh, I mean, the Chinese Communist Party, I think, is, is on about the same moral footing as the Nazi Party in like maybe 35, maybe 36, that kind of region. Yeah, it's before the Nuremberg laws have been brought in, but they're obviously pretty nasty people. But the camps are still there, and they're still putting people into them, and there's definitely a little bit of the old genocide going on. Yeah, they've probably started killing the disabled people. Which is kind of what China is doing, um, although they're also harvesting them for organs, which the Nazis didn't think to do, which just shows the Chinese have a... Wonderful mindset for finding new markets. Well, you know, probably a question of an underdeveloped technology. So I, I, I saw it. I was simultaneously just very impressed that Cork had managed to do this. And also, like, you know, I, I am fundamentally a realist in foreign affairs. Sometimes you have to work with terrible people and terrible regimes. The problem I have with China is that we don't seem willing to admit that they're a terrible regime because then China will be unhappy about it. Yeah, because you see, there's a... <laughs> I, I don't suppose it's complicated. In so far as when Russia was bad and all the rest of the Russian like places were bad, like Albania and Korea, were all very, very bad. But they're also very poor. China has gone from being very, very bad when it was poor under Mao to going through this thing after Deng Xiaoping of becoming, if not very, very rich, but sufficiently rich that when there's one point whatever billion of them, that they are, in a global sense, very, very rich, with lots and lots of money, and kind of, for the last, oh God, fair while now, there's a kind of a suspicion that the only thing that's kept the world economy going at any kind of growth has been the, the Chinese economy. And that's actually true, but some, there's that, that feeling that if the Chinese economy stops, well, then uh, all, all, all the other boats uh, are, are going to, going to come to a stop as well. Um, so, you know, you, you pay your money, it takes your choice. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you know, if you have to work with them, fine. And yes, they're very integrated. But can we please stop using them for cutesy PR? You have to work with them. You don't have to go. You don't. You don't have to go out to dinner with them. It's like it's it's on the same level of here is Idi Amin showing you how to cook a delicious ham. 
Brady family ham. Okay, thank you. That's a lovely, lovely image. I think we move on from there. I, uh, I, I ended up going up to the hospital with a doctor's referral, uh, saying that he suspected that something could be wrong, which could kill me. And I thought he was massively overreacting. I thought he was absolutely wrong in what he was suggesting. But at the same time, there are only so many times a doctor can say risk of sudden death before you're like, fine, I'll get the taxi up. So I went in, went, got triage. Nearly immediately, Michael. But you see, this is how the public sector, this is how the public healthcare system gets you, Michael. You get, you go in and you get the immediate thing really quickly. And then you just sit there waiting for results. I remember years ago, I decided I would get a procedure through the public uh, public health system because I was told that there was a free appointment in two days and I wouldn't have been able to get something with the with insurance that quick anyway. And I said yes. And then six months later, as I was still waiting for my results, I remembered that this is the public service. And this wasn't six months. This I was in the hospital, I think, for... Somewhere between 13 and 15 hours, I think. And in that time, I did actually get a scan as well. And got the results of that scan. Still 15 hours sitting in a, seat, a chair in Vincent's. Oh, no. I, I, it was partially in the chair. Then I was moved to a bed. Then I was asked would I move back <laughs> onto the chair. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it was nice game. I, I'm not... But it, it, was, it was fascinating to see because I was in there in the A&E and there's about 12 people there. There's not, not that many people there. And I, I said on Twitter, it felt like, you know those games where radios will have them and everyone yeah. will put their hand on a car and the last person to take their hand off gets the car and people just start dropping out because it's difficult or you need to urinate. And it did kind of feel like a healthcare-based version of that in that... The, there were people there who were like, oh, I think my leg is broken. <laughs> and would then just limp off after eight hours. Yeah, it's probably not broken. Yeah, then just they couldn't tell. There was a girl there as well who um, someone had fired a firework into her face. And her entire eye had, had swollen shut. And her mother was there and terribly worried that you know, she'd gone blind. Because she couldn't see out of that eye due to the swelling. But once that checked, and they were there... 16 hours I think because they were there longer than I was and they left shortly before me but you're kind of sitting there and you're like what is this time used for like what is happening that make that makes this take so long because I don't know and I'd actually I'd really like to know you want to peek behind the curtain and see what they're doing I would love to see a breakdown of what everyone who is working that night is doing, everyone on that ward, just to see how the time is spent, not on any one individual level. I must say now that all the staff I dealt with were both highly professional and delightful uh, to deal with, apart from the woman who took my bloods, who was delightful, but also apparently I have very small veins, Michael. Okay, it's always tricky. Yeah. So she ended up, you know when they put the needle in and then if they don't get it, they take the needle out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she, she instead for needle in, 
and then just rotate it. Ah. Like, draw from side to side. Like, in quite a wide arc. Yeah. And I was just, I was like, just looking at it going, this doesn't feel medicinal. And then she, that didn't work, so she went out and did it to the other arm, did the same thing again, just, like, wiggling it around in there. And uh, then she looks at me accusingly and just says, most people bleed more than this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. I'm not bleeding enough for you. you see, I'm, I'm a, an organism highly evolved not to bleed out. The last time I was up there and I, I was, whatever, I was I had to do testing, I was sent down to the phlebotomist uh, to take. And he was, I have to say, not a cheerful, happy kind of a soul. I, I, I went down, I was done almost immediately. There was, I think, maybe one other person was getting phlebotomized before me. No, but having, so I, he was magical. Before I realized what was happening, it was in, the blood was being drawn. I looked at him and said, God, you're very good at this. It was absolutely painless. It's really remarkable. And it was like a flower blossomed, Carrie. He suddenly he smiled. He became so sweet. I thought, God, this is obviously somebody who has gone a very, very long time since somebody said anything nice to them. <laughs> became a completely different person. It was all, I, 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 as I was leaving, I always expected to say, listen, do you want to get coffee sometime? But you had a slight, you 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 were you were my, I think I probably got pretty good veins, you can see them from here, but you know that speaks, and you have the opposite of him sort of anti hemophilia. You have the. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the first time I went to give blood, and uh, the woman goes to me goes well we know you're not diabetic and I was like oh how is that and she goes oh well if you were diabetic with your blood sugar levels you'd be dead. Oh, God. I'm like, thanks. I don't need to know that. Well, you kind of do. Well, yes, but it was also good to know I'm not diabetic. Or at least wasn't at that point. Well, yes, yeah, kind of, if your sugar level is at that level and you're not diabetic, it's also, you're not diabetic yet. I always, every time I go and get bloods, and they're like, your bloods are actually quite good, I do feel like a source of wonder. Because I'm like, I have not exercised and drank and eaten terribly for 30-something years. Like, I've tried. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, absolutely. And still, they just keep coming back and going, you're actually, like, shockingly healthy. I know, it's very, it must be really tedious as a, my, one of my local doctors, not my regular doctor, but he's the kind of guy that if you smoke and you go into him, he'll just basically fuck you out of this, the, with the appointment and say, come back to me. When you've stopped smoking, I'm not, I'm not interested in treating people like you. That kind of person. And I am, and at this stage, definitely middle-aged and certainly very fat man. And he was he, he, the last I'd been in with his brother the previous time, and he had my bloods. And he was getting ready to read me the riot act, you know, with my cholesterol, my lipids, my sugars. Obviously, I was terribly. And he went through my cholesterol. I think it's a genetic thing. I imagine my cholesterol was always low. My sugars were low. My lipids were low. Everything was perfect. He was really annoyed. So I basically just closed the file and said, well, yes, your bloods are pretty decent. And I looked at it and said very sweetly, but I'm not surprised. I'm very careful about what I eat. And I honestly think the man wanted, he was inches away from boxing me. He was so pissed off. He's a big guy, big fists. I could see these fists bunched up. 
because he just wanted to hit me because this was not how he had planned it. But yeah, I'm sure one of these days I'll go down there and he'll say, right, you're diabetic, your cholesterol's up in the sky, you're going to die in six months unless you start eating 500 calories a day and fasting every fourth day. But until that day, I'll enjoy it. So you were there for, you what, 50, what 50, 14, 15 hours? Somewhere between 13 and 15. It all kind of, it starts to meld together after a while because you can't sleep and you can't listen to music because they pop their head out once, call your name, and then instantly disappear. Like there's no chasing people. There's no checking for people. They should have a system like in the in the better hotels of once upon a time where they'd have a bell hop and you'd walk around with your name on the card and go around in front of all the various guests and you could see it. More similar. Only twelve people though. You think I you always imagine places like Vincent's the A and E is going to be just shattered with drug. I, mean, I, I did walk into the A and E and there was a guy whose face was covered in blood and appeared to be high. And had about three inches of wood sticking out of his skull. Uh, and I was like, that's uh, uh, it. That's uh, what I expected to see in Vincent's. Oh, God. Oh, God. God. And then I got in. It was There were an astounding amount of children who had been playing like rugby and ga. Well, yeah, I think that's probably when the, when the season is on. That's probably your, in the south side. Your south side, your better class of hospitals. Sports-related injuries are massive. I imagine... It, a&E on a Saturday night in James's must be fun. But I, I, I don't want to shit on Vincent's because I said all the staff were quite nice. But it was interesting because this is the first time I've been physically into a hospital in years. Like decades probably at this point. And it was interesting to see both when you're in the waiting room and you're seeing how they handle things. And then when you're on the ward and you're seeing how they handle things. How badly put together a lot of the systems are. Like, you just look at a lot of stuff, and you're like, that could be done better. Like, that's just badly designed for what it is. And you kind of just wonder, like, I've, re- I've read a fair bit about the Irish Health Service and where it doesn't work and the issues with it. But it's always interesting to see, like, on a very micro scale, see stuff just not work. And just go, and why why has no one ever changed that? You're like, ah, it's just the way it's done. And... This does actually, this isn't just a long meandering talk. This does actually have an impact on uh, a lot of other stuff. Like the approach to COVID that's going to be pushed out. All the hospitals will handle that separately because there's no centralised database of how many patients are in any hospital and what those patients are using and what those patients are scheduled for. So it'll be an absolute nightmare because... We, for some reason, didn't get around to doing that when we created the HSE. We don't have a, what? We don't have a unified database on COVID in what? In, in what? Sorry, no, I meant, I meant generally Irish hospitals don't have a unified database of. So let's say you have a hosp- hospital and then another hospital two miles down the road. Yeah. One of those hospitals can have a five-year waiting list for a test. Yes. Which there are actually a couple of tests and a couple of hospitals where Five years would legitimately be the the waiting uh, period. The hospital down the road could have a three-week waiting period. There is no way for people in either of those systems, or either of those hospitals, to see an overview. 
on I, each other hospital. And, and I, I'm sure that when the HSC replaced the uh, health boards, that a very large amount of money was spent on information systems. Yeah, they were. Um, interesting thing about that, Michael, the health, health boards all had different systems. And when they were amalgamated into the HSE, it was decided that those systems should not be standardised. Well, that makes perfect sense, really, doesn't it? Because, you know, why would you do that when you've created a single unitary, unitary authority? Why would you standardise? The HSE doesn't even have a standardised purchasing component. Yeah. Do you know the thing about that? It is, according to many metrics, really, really, really bad system. And if you talk to people who are involved in setting it up, they, they'll say to you, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's pretty shit, and effectively there is no way to fix it. You have to just tear the thing down and start again. But, Gary, it's still better than, than the NHS. And the reason I mentioned that, because I, I, I was watching uh, something on English TV the other night, and there were several people talking about politics generally, and the NHS came up. And there were conservatives, and there were sort of liberal types, and there was sort of, and they all, one thing they all agreed on, oh, fantastic. Oh, the, I think it was related to COVID and the treatment they got. It's an odd blind spot with our cousins next door that they really do have this sort of religious attachment to a system which is just about the worst in the OECD now. Yeah, the, the NHS has terrible results when you actually look at welfare and outcomes. But just on, on the, the HSE and fixing it and the system can't be fixed, what's interesting is that when you look at the small things that fail in the HSE, like the fact there's no centralised procurement services, stuff yeah. like that. There's yeah. no centralised appointment booking. Yeah. Uh, which some hospitals have put together between them. So some of the hospital groups have basically, on an ad hoc basis, done that. And they managed to massively reduce waiting time because then you can send someone to several hospitals and it just keeps things flowing. Um, the HSE, when they were asked about that, said it wasn't their job to recommend calendar systems to uh, or appointment systems to hospitals. It's not? No, it, it's not. So, so things like that. Those are small things that are absolutely fixable. But we don't fix them. So for all the whole, it can't be fixed, it needs to be burned down, I don't see a lot of proposals to fix the small things either. And, you know, Michael, I suspect that were you to fix enough of the small things, you might actually get to a system that's kind of workable. Well, whatever it was, it would be better than what's there. And that surely in itself would be a good thing. Yeah, and instead of, I think we've all just given up on the health service. But no, for, from being in there, I really would like to see like an actual breakdown of the time. Because I would expect that when you put it all together, that's when things start happening. So any one person is making moderately effective use of their time. It just doesn't, doesn't join together in any way. That's what I would suspect is happening. Yep. Anyway, let's get out of hospital. Yes, that's my long, solitary complaint against the HSE. Though, as I said, all of the staff were lovely to me, and that's really the only thing that matters in the end, my personal experiences. Michael, good day for the uh, government. 
another oh, poll is out. Just so much stuff going on. It's and just fantastic. We've got, we've got the government on, let's see, uh, the government is majority government still. 35, 45, yeah, 51%. 51%. So it's been a couple of rough weeks for the government, but it's, uh, it's, I'm sure they will take some solace in the fact that, you know, they're still in the majority and at least the Green Party is moving up. Yeah, green, green, yeah. <laughs> green Party's up one. Fine Gael steady at 35. Yes, slight bit of a issue maybe for Fianna Fáil. We're down 33% uh, from, uh, they're on 10% down from 15%. Now, this is the Red Sea poll. We had, you see, you could say, as I'm sure somebody will, oh, well, this is, you know, it's just one poll and the real poll is when people go to the boxes. And I don't believe this and it's an outlier. But I think, Gary, we, this is three polls now that have Fianna Fáil in and around 10%. I think it was 9, 10 and 11. Yeah, 9% was, was the last one, 11 before that. So, you know, it's, uh, as we have, we've commented before, there was a time when fin- when Michal Martin was going to be the Asterix, the only leader of Fianna Fáil, never to be Taoiseach. And now the Asterix will be Michal Martin, last leader of Fianna Fáil, ever to be Taoiseach. So, God, he is just doing a stellar... I mean, we shouldn't give all the credit to Michal Martin, but I think he deserves a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, um, Michael, now... We haven't, the full breakdown of the poll hasn't been released yet, but Richard Colwell, uh, when he was talking about it on Twitter, said that the problem they have is that older voters are leaving them. And he said they've been decimated in Dublin. I assume as an educated man, he actually meant devastated because decimated is, and its definition, is the hill I will die on. (laughs) Yeah, if they were only decimated, it wouldn't be too bad. I mean, that would, to be fair, I'm not sure what's left to be decimated at this point. Wasn't the Dublin strategy Michal Martin's glorious path to the future? Yeah, it was basically, yes, it was the, the Dublin strategy. And occupying that vast, unoccupied political space in and around socially liberal centre-left. And, would you know, fairness, Gary, there's only the Social Democrats, the Labour Party the Green Party uh, and Fine Gael occupying that territory. So, you know, it's it's almost a desert. And strangely, strangely, Gary, all those people in, say, like the Social Democrats, the Labour Party or Fine Gael, who regard Fine Fall, many of them historically, as the kind of thing you clean off your shoe when you've come out in from a walk in the park, have not been wildly impressed by Mihal's lurch to the liberal left without any kind of other identifying policy or characteristic to the party they have said no thanks but their traditional voter shall we say the white van man the breakfast roll man the more the conservative voter and the older voters have gone and said "Uh, you don't seem to be interested in us at all anymore so we're going to piss off and go somewhere else and, you know, Gary, we have to say nobody could have foreseen that. No, no, it's not like we talked about that at length, Michael. 
and that this was a terrible strategic error or have been talking about this for years and in some ways it's quite befitting to actually see it now come to fruition because it enables us to stand back and go, God, if only someone had been able to see this coming. Let's see, when did we have, when was the election before last? Because I have a memory of us tootling around with a bit of a paper, basically saying what will happen to Fianna Fáil. It's around four years ago, four or five years ago. Four years ago, I think, I was talking about the direction Fianna Fáil were going and the gap in the market that they were basically leaving. They left for Sinn Féin. Oh, yes, this was using the 2016 paper, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, for the listener, that was a paper... It had been done using one of the those apps where you put in um, your political views and where you are, and it will tell you which party is closest to what you say is important to you. And you also tell it who you plan to vote for, so it was able to measure how much space there actually is between what you say you believe and what the party says it believes. And there was some really interesting stuff in there, but it basically showed that everyone was going into the, the lower left quadrant, the left libertarian kind of space leaving leaving alone a lot of the authoritarian left mostly which is is a phrase some people don't like but is mostly working class nationalists in general i think it's about 33 percent of the irish population yeah but uh at the time we were arguing the finifal was moving into a crowded sector also not a sector it was traditionally ever in and a sector full of people who think they're scum. The other problem it seemed to me was okay. I understand you have to, you have to, you have to have seats in Dublin. I mean, and we we have to remember that there was a period after the death of the late, the late uh, Brian Lennon, who was the last man to hold a seat. Yes, there was a period briefly where Fianna Fáil had no seat in Dublin. It was an absolute disaster. They obviously had to pick up seats in Dublin. Now I would say that. In the normalisation of of politics, that they would have picked up seats anyway, after the people had started get got over the trauma of uh, of the crash, etc. But they became he became so fixated with the he forgot there are actually seats outside of Dublin. There are seats in rural Leinster, in Munster, and in Connacht Ulster. And people say, ah, but there are not enough. Ah, but you, you know what? It, I mean, it, it, it's a bit like what the Italians would call the discovery of hot water. I was going through a list. He go through a list of the independents in the Dáil today and look at the number of independents in the Dáil today. I would say that you could look at 80% or more of those independent seats around the country. They're essentially Fianna Fáil seats. I think there, there has been... I, I do remember reading a paper. I cannot remember who did the paper. Uh, but it was looking at independent independents who win and where they tend to be on the political compass. And most of them are in the more sort of traditionalist... They'd be socially conservative and then fiscally kind of slightly more to the left. They they would be traditionally where Fianna Fáil was. But even just looking at the genetics of, like, obviously the, the, the Healy, Rays and Kerry, people like Matty McGrann and in, in Tipperary, not all of them. I mean, Lowry is Philly Gale, Dennis Doctor is Philly Gale. 
But when you, you spread it out, hell of a lot of these people are genetics, genetically phenophile. But once upon a time, they might have had a row with the party, but they would have been reabsorbed. Now, they have no real interest in being reabsorbed because for their core vote, Fianna Fáil is looking increasingly like a slightly hostile place to be. It's not, it doesn't match with their values in the way that they're independent. Pretty closely matches their values. So we have Fianna Fáil on 10%, which I think in a Red Sea poll, I'm not sure, but I think is the lowest Fianna Fáil I've ever got. Oh, I think so. I definitely, yeah, yeah. So, but now they have the problem in that when they're out of government, you bring down Martin. But now they're in government. Martin's the Thishuk. Yeah, you can't bring him down. It's it's a lot more complicated to get rid of him. Also, the fact that you have no movement in Fine Gael, the Green Party going up, and Fianna Fáil continuing to fall. I mean, that's got to feel very targeted to Fianna Fáil. I'll tell you, while it's bad news for Fianna Fáil, there's one little number there which I think is curious. But if you're in... Labour is on 3%. And the Social Democrats on four. That's bad news for Labour. I think Labour have Labour have some of the same problem as Fianna Fáil has right now. Yeah. Why vote for them? Well, yeah. Except I thought Alan Kelly has been. Do, I think Alan Kelly has been doing a good job. Alan Kelly has been and actually creating a kind of an identity for Labour in a, in a way that I think surprisingly it seemed to me Brendan Howland didn't do because I've. Not my politics, and I also thought Brendan Holland was a very competent politician and competent minister, bright man. Um, but I think Alan Kelly's doing stuff, and I, I thought we might see a little bit of a bounce. And for also, frankly, I, I'm amazed at the, considering how fractured they are, the social democrats, rather than the, it's not a national presence. No, but the social, the social democrats kind of remind me of the Greens in a little bit. In that if you have a particular view, they are the most it it can be. I suppose that's probably like true. If you are yeah. a young, kind of left-wing person, but you're more concerned about the social issues than the economic issues, social democrats are a really good fit. They are that. Yeah. Like one of the Green Party. Well, yeah, you want, yeah, but you'll pay some tax, but you don't want to pay too much tax. No, like let's let's not get crazy about this. Socially responsible levels of tax. N two up one to two percent, which is you know you could say doubling their representation. Obviously, N two have the problem that they only have one TD. They don't have any big headliners. But you know, I think there's probably space out there for them if they're in this for the long term. There's space out there gradually to get uh, get some local representatives on the ground and build that up. I mean, there's definitely space there. And if Finnefall, I mean, Finnefall has just shed voters. Yeah, I'd say a lot of those voters could quite comfortably come to a home in Aintu. Oh, the problem yeah, is yeah, how do you get them there? Yeah. And with only one TD, you haven't got a lot of finances coming in. So you know, how do you actually support uh, the infrastructure to build that? But yeah. there would definitely there would definitely seem to be the wider sort of system ecosystem looks a lot friendlier to them. 
than it did to let's say renewal when it was first created a disaster for into just and they were you could say unlucky maybe poor planning that they just fell underneath the two percent to get uh, state funding i think that would have made a big big difference to them and all if they put up paper candidates you know I, I I did I did raise that point to some of the people I know in the party in a fairly pointed fashion, and I was told it was simply not possible. But I I think it was absolutely possible, and a decision was made not to do it. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because I think they that... complained about the the cost, and I don't think that's 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 not a barrier. Not put it this way carefully chosen what they would have if they had another five or six candidates it would probably would have been enough to bring them over the threshold and it was they were it must have been very disappointing for because all during the day the projections were giving them to two percent plus and that would have been substantial funding and would have really transformed them but padra is doing a great job i mean as this as the sole voice for them he he gives good press he's also sick now though yeah, he's not. He hasn't been well, but he's out of hospital, and uh, hopefully he's he's well. But yeah, anyway, big story there is. Well, I said as I said to you the last time we were talking, Gary. If you look at Finnegan and thirty three percent, the the message there is Leo is enjoying being the leader of the opposition, and he's doing it very effectively. Now, I think the thing here to point out is that Finnefall even on ten percent. There are a number of TDs in Finnefall who are there not because they're Finnefall TDs. They have immensely strong local votes. Of course. Finnefall, it's, I think it's one of the reasons so many people from Finnefall went on to become independents. They tend to have quite strong local votes. So Finnefall can go into absolute freefall and they'll still return more TDs than you would think likely. Yeah, that, that will only go on for so long. Yeah, also, if you have a really strong local base and the party is in freefall, you don't need the party. So, if the party's name starts weighing you down, a lot of those lads, it's not that they would want to jump ship, although some would, it's that they have the option. There, there will come a point in where you have to make uh, a judgment call, whether or not the brand is, a, is vote positive or vote negative for you. Now, I would say, for example, not in the last election, but in the election before last, in the last two weeks of the general election, the renewer brand really became vote repellent. And John Lahey stayed in. He, uh, he was an independent, had a strong history. But Lahey probably would have had a decent chance two elections ago of getting in on the last seat. If he had if he had jumped ship now as it's hard the last election didn't happen for him but i think that was an example that because all over the all over the place as a brand it just became hollowed out it became and became voter repellent that could happen to fina fall you could have people in particular constituencies with long deep presence family just maybe dynastic presence with a good well-organized, strong, personal uh, base of supporters and a positive image in the local constituency. But, you know, the thing, Gary, if, if the brand you represent becomes that 
bad. You 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 will find people who can't lose their seats will lose their seats, mm. and that's and but these but most TDs these days I think are very aware of that, and if that looks like it's happening, well then you just cut the cords and say, all right, good luck. There, Finnafall. I I don't even know what what advice to give Finnafall. Well, actually, I know exactly what advice to give Finnafall. I just don't know what advice outside of get rid of Michal Martin. I think there are many ways the party could go, but currently I, I see no reason to actually vote for the party other than there being a good particular candidate in an area. Okay, I, I'll give you a piece of advice I would give them, put it this way. It's a negative piece of advice more than a positive piece. Uh, we, uh, the voices within Fianna Fáil and some voices in the parliamentary party are talking about that Fianna Fáil is open to the idea of legislating for uh, legalised doctor killing in hospitals, right? And this is, along with the, probably the transgender issue, is that these are the last two issues that are on the horizon anyway in the culture wars. I think the last thing that Fianna Fáil needs is to roll up its sleeves and join in another culture battle and come in on the progressive side. And if you're just talking simply from the point of view of votes and a political party, I don't see where this is going to help them with the progressive vote. Well, no, I, I have seen I've seen what happened to Fine Gael happened, or sorry, happen to many, like, you see it particularly in video games, books, media, things like that. And it's 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 a classic thing. What happens is you reach a certain level of popularity. And someone comes in and says, well, what we need to do is we have those people and we need to change the format in order to make this appeal to a wider audience. Yeah. And they do that. And the wider audience aren't particularly interested or they're interested, but not that interested. And in stepping away from the people you used to appeal to, you start losing them sometimes in dramatic numbers. Yes. And it turns out that what you are now selling, the people who want that already have something that does that. And now the people who were buying your thing, they don't see a need for you anymore because you don't meet their need either. Or you appear openly contemptuous of them. Which I think is something Michal Martin has perfected. Yeah, and <laughs> people will take being shit out from a, on a height for only so long. Until they say, you know, I, I don't need this. I can go elsewhere. Granny, Mammy voted that way. Granny voted that way. But I'm not voting that way. You, you don't like me. You've no, you've only contempt for me. Well, then, fuck you. I'm going elsewhere. I mean, that's the thing. Like, let's say I was involved. I wanted to get involved in political party, like local political party stuff. My perception of Fianna Fáil is that Mio Martin doesn't like. Most of the members of Finnafal. He has no respect for their work, and he seems openly contemptuous of what the members say they want done with the party, as we've seen when he overrides numerous things that they have said about the direction they want the party to go in. And now we see that all of those things that he wanted them to do have not only failed to generate a benefit, they have actively hurt the party. So I would say, on the cultural issue stuff, don't take a position. You don't have to take a position. You can say these are conscience issues. 
allow your your conservative your socially conservative TDs to actually articulate that stance to be out there and to be advocates if there are people in the other in the party on the other side take that say listen these are these are complicated social moral issues that people have particularly uh, passionate beliefs about we're going to allow people to have a free vote on that we are interested in the construction of a just and fair society with a thriving economy and up the republic embrace that go on and do that kind of stuff but don't at least show your show you don't even have you don't have to move to be socially conservative but at least say to the social conservatives in your party listen it's okay we don't hate you i would also make the point here and i know you're saying they shouldn't take a position but sometimes it is better to take a position and lose while being the only person to take that position yeah than it is to take a position and win when everyone else takes that position oh no i, I yeah i think that's true and sometimes you know you're going to lose. I mean, the um, the assisted suicide thing, that's just legislation. The chance of that being stopped is nearly non-existent. And I think it's been rather clear for a number of years it was more about when it came in than if it was going to come in. And as per usual, it will come in with, I would say, I would imagine pretty much universal support of Irish political parties. Sinn Féin might surprise, but... I, I think we'll be going for nearly universal acclaim again. Well, I can't see Sinn Féin surprising us. Uh, well, who could, uh, uh, Solidarity will support it. Social Democrats will support it. Labour will support it. Fine Gael will support it. Uh, I would say Sinn Féin very likely will support it. Fianna Fáil, we don't know. Um, Ain Two will oppose it. The independents, a lot of the independents will oppose it. But the the yeah the great bulk of the parties will 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 will, will be will be on board. Um, Who votes for Fianna Fáil now? Fianna Fáilers. I mean, not to give you a smart answer, but that's all. No, but like we've gone below what we thought the Fianna Fáil core vote was. I mean, we've oh, gone absolutely. lower than two thousand and eleven. Absolutely, like, that is. We've gone below the people who voted for the party when the common knowledge regardless of not really being true was that they had destroyed the country and we've somehow managed to get below that yeah so it's not, i don't think i don't think we can even say finna fallers anymore because even they're starting to go i think that if you looked uh, i'm just trying to pull them up here the results if you i think the I think the big thing you'll notice if you look at, say, that result, what's changed in between then has been the growth of the rural independents. That you have Philippe Fáil, Labour, Sinn Féin, Green, United Left Alliance. But I think that uh, and the what you've seen the the growth of has been that. Of that, that, and they are. I think that's where the difference is. There, that seventeen percent, which was the core vote, is disappearing because that core vote is is disappearing away to people like the Healy Rays and Matty McGrath, and they are people. They are voters who would have been once core voters. So the the the, the actual core vote is just disappearing. 
I mean, it is it is sad to... Well, sorry, no. It was sad to see what was happening to Finnefall. But the longer this goes on, and the longer Michal Martin is let go on with this, the less sympathy exists, and the less sympathy I certainly feel for them myself. You've let this happen. If you keep letting it happen, you start to deserve it happening. I don't think they've let it happen. I think they have got... As a friend of mine used to say... You know, it's all very well to have trouble in your life, but you know you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go out with a lamp looking for it. I think Michal Martin has gone out with a lamp looking for it. I, I, I and listen. He's a professional politician, surrounded by highly paid and bright professional advisors in the art of politics, and he's surrounded by TDs who come from generations of politics. They obviously, you would say, will know more than someone like me. But I, honest to God, Gary, when we, I mean, I, we did it together, and I'm sure other people have done it. When we sat down and just looked at the map of the votes in Ireland and said, this is where they're going, I couldn't see where those, how this was going to materialise votes. I, I, also, it ignored the fact that even in a city like Dublin, even in a city like Dublin, 20 to 30% of the voters still are, in some sense, centre-right or conservative. It's not like there are no votes for a Conservative Party in Dublin. I mean, that was the interesting thing about Martin's Dublin strategy, this this glorious return to form, is that it pretty explicitly neglected working class areas and anyone who didn't fit in with the particular image of what Fianna Fáil would be, this wonderful progressive party. And those are the people who should have been voting Fianna Fáil. And then they let Sinn Féin grow, I think partially just because they moved out of those areas and they were totally unable to get into the new areas. And now, I'm just not sure what the point of them is. Absolutely. I think, and I think it has to be Sinn Féin that they went to because, again, when we looked at the, when you looked at the, 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 the polling data showed us that the, the, the party that had the biggest gap between the values of its voters and the values of the the official party, the biggest gap was in Sinn Féin. Now, it seems to me that this, we have voters here, the kind of voters that like Bertie Ahern, the breakfast roll man, that cliche of a voter. They weren't going to vote for Fine Gael because Fine Gael was a kind of an alien creature to them because the, that old working class Fine Gael vote represented by the people like the Mitchells has has gone has gone that's that's dead the labor party in dublin certainly in large parts of dublin had trans had transformed itself into the a party of the professional classes it was media types lawyers barristers doctors whatever so the these were voters who weren't going to vote they they weren't instinctively they didn't like that kind of hard ideological leftism that you associate with people before part of they are we know from polling that these are that younger voters like these working class voters for example are very they're patriotic they like their they like being irish they're proud of, of being irish they they value national institutions and they value they have those traditional sort of Fianna Fáil Republican values. That's part of it. So where were they going to go? They're, they're also, the, we, in the last election, we saw the, 
this was the party where the single largest block of voters favoured tax cuts. So these are not hard left ideologues, Gary, who are voting Sinn Féin. There are people who have who are nation positive, who work. They're not middle class. That's a Bertie. That's a Bertie voter, and they obviously don't feel like they have been addressed or their concerns have been dealt with. They don't feel like they have been talked to by Fianna Fáil. And I think the reason is because they haven't been. And Sinn Féin have been very successful in sweeping them up. Now, question, if you had another party, if you had a, a, a Fianna Fáil came out and suddenly started to behave like an old-fashioned Fianna Fáil, maybe, maybe these people will go back to them. I don't know. You have to think at this stage it's getting... We're getting close to the end game for Fianna Fáil. Any, anyways. I suppose the only benefit here is that when things were initially going bad, it was very easy to say, well, that's the fallout of the previous elections. That's the fallout of 2007. But as it goes on longer and longer, and as it goes wrong in ways that aren't general, where you start losing particular voters when things start moving against you in particular ways, you can start kind of going, no, no, this isn't 2007. This is the leadership of the party. This is strategy. And they have no identity. Ultimately, one of the, the most concerning things for Fianna Fáil has to be the fact that those voters that they have, and they're losing these voters now, are older voters, 65 and older. That's that that's their, their, their biggest block. When you look at 18 to 25-year-olds, they're doing disastrously badly. Now, 80 to 25 year olds are people who they tend to be voters who are attracted to to big ideas, to identity. And Fianna Fáil, as it stands, has no identity. There is nothing, or there's very little, it seems to me, unless you come from a Fianna Fáil background that has some sense of what it is to be culturally Fianna Fáil. If that's not who you are, you, your student in UCD or DC, I don't see why they would think, you know what, Fianna Fáil, yeah, I, I, there's something about them that I'm attracted to. They have no identity. They, they fall into the trap that Fine Gael, well, the trap, the problem that Fine Gael had for years as the party of opposition was, the question people would say, well, what is Fine Gael for? And ultimately, the job, what was Fine, Fine Gael was defined by being not Fianna Fáil. Well, Fianna Fáil doesn't even have that anymore. It doesn't even have not being Fine Gael. It's just nothing in particular. It's something left over from the old days. Yeah, as I said, I, I don't know why you'd vote for them. I don't know what they stand for. I don't know. I, I don't really you know, you'd, you'd vote, care that much at this point. No, you'd vote for that guy or that woman because you like that guy or that woman. But the fact that there was FF after the name, I don't know how much that would really matter to you. Anyway, moving on, because there's so much fun stuff going on in the world today, Gary. And there's only so much kicking you can do to feel fun and stuff being fun. I mean, it's stopped being fun a long time ago. I think at this point, this is basically a public service. <laughs> I mean, you have to do something or there won't be a fin of all. So do something. You should have done something ages ago. Once upon a time, there were dinosaurs and now there are none. Although, of course, you could. I know you could say the crocodiles and birds are dinosaurs that survived, but hey ho. You, you're aware of, Gary, the, the, the continuing brouhaha regarding the CAO points 
and the leaving cert results. You mean how it looks increasingly likely that the department, whilst accepting that there was a clear evidence of gender bias against boys, went without telling anyone and flattened some of the scores of private schools and high-performing public schools in order to bring up lower-performing schools and schools from disadvantaged areas without telling anyone? Well, Gary, that's what it looks like. It's, it's starting to look quite like that happened, isn't it? Because if it was the case that it was only private schools, that should we say, fee-paying schools, then that would be so incredibly discriminatory that it would have to be just outrageously illegal to do so. I, I, I can't imagine. It may well be anyway. I don't know. If you if you were to do that, the people you'd be disadvantaging would be the private school students who, and this is a point I'd like to make here, not because of the fact that those schools cost money, but because the people involved cared enough to pay money. Well, I just want to get on to that. They're probably the most likely to um, you know, make this a legal issue. I, well, indeed. Uh, no, I... Been just make a couple of phone calls insofar as I can. And I, it may, listen, Gary, it may turn out that it was only certain schools. It may turn out that all this was done with an algorithm of such sophistication and accuracy that what looks like a strange, anomalous outcome was actually perfectly normal and perfectly rational. However, it does seem to be the case that across all, that the, that the schools that were hit in, in Dublin, around Dublin, not, were uh, not just fee-paying schools, but schools that had historically high levels of achievement when it came to leaving certain results. And not just in Dublin. I found two two schools uh, where, I was able to, where I was talking to teachers who claimed, and that's all I can say, I claimed that they felt that their results did not re- re- did not reflect what they had anticipated and do not did not reflect their what they would consider to be their historic averages roughly that they were down. Now, first of all, my first complaint is there's been a really kind of a weird and rather nasty reaction to this. One person on, on I, I saw on Twitter and he got some support and said for once it's great to see children who can't afford to go to fee paying schools getting the advantage. The sense of entitlement of those p- attending fee-paying schools is flabbergasting. Okay, I'll just leave that there. And then we have another from uh, Councillor Dan Boyle, Dan Boyle, former TD. And former, was Dan Boyle Senate leader? Uh, I think, yes, that sounds right. One beneficial effect of today's CA offers is hearing representatives of fee-paying schools crying foul about de- being discriminated against. Hashtag up the republic. Now, first point is, this is not all actually, by the way, lads, fee-paying schools. It's also non-fee-paying schools. Secondly, he I notice the gentleman uses the word children who can't afford to go to fee-paying schools. But he doesn't use the word children in the second sense. The sense of entitlement of those paying attending fee-paying schools is flabbergasting. He doesn't say the sense of entitlement of those children attending fee-paying students. Well, entitlement for once is the word here. If it is the case that these results have been artificially bamboozled in order to play some kind of social experiment, well, you are actually, as these children are entitled to expect fair play. They're entitled that the results they get reflect their effort 
ability and achievement that it should reflect what they would have got that's the point this was supposed to be gary this was supposed to be an attempt to mimic the results of the living certificates and this, it's and if they they have a sense of, they sh they are indeed entitled secondly there's this notion do you get this sense that they're trying to portray people who go to fee-paying schools as all being Ross O'Carroll Kelly and everybody parent every parent sending their child there is being vastly wealthy now if you're sending a kid to board in Clongos with all the extras well then you chances are you're you're wealthy that doesn't mean by the way that you don't your your the child is n not entitled to a f to fair play and assessment in his leaving cert he still is but if you're attend there are plenty of people attend two two groups there are people whose parents are sending them as day pupils to to, to to private schools in dublin and who are pinching and scraping and saving and denying themselves in orders to do that and then there are children like in black there are children certainly places like uh, belvedere and other schools who are there on social in social diversity inclusion birth scholarship scholarships and bursaries who are also being punished by the way if the school as a whole if the result of the school are being depressed in order to benefit somebody else Desh schools, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with this, but by the way, Desh schools, if you look at the, the, the investment, the money available, the capitation available to Desh schools per pupil is way more than something that if you're sending your child to a voluntary school. The teacher-pupil ratio will be better, the structure, the, the physical fabric of the school and the maintenance school, you will be massively advantaged in comparison. And when it, and most and voluntary schools are not these are things like the the, the christian brothers in in Escorthy or the mercy in Nina, schools where the children of perfectly ordinary people go but are being disadvantaged but there's a am i am i wrong but is there not a meanness just a real nasty meanness a kind of a resentment driven satisfaction that some children are being screwed over and we're delighted because they they go to the wrong schools and they're a bit posh and we like to see posh children screwed over is is that really a nice look on a on an adult person let alone on a politician i mean the this for some reason i don't know why this issue has generated the most amount of sort of media and public comment where i've just read it I'm like, I'm not going to respond to it. I'm not going to comment on the article. But you just internally think, you kind of just sound like a cunt. Yeah. Like, it's not that you're wrong or you're right. You just kind of sound like a cunt. And I, I, don't, I don't get the point of it. I mean, the thing about the Leaving Cert, the great thing about the Leaving Cert is that it was an objective scoring metric. And there's tons of research that says... Objective scoring metrics, if you're looking to diminish discrimination and bias, they're the best things. Because the wealthy can buy grinds, and the moderately well-off can buy grinds, and the wealthy can try and get better teachers, and they can do all those things. But at the end of the day, a poor student is perfectly capable of working hard and getting an exceptionally good grade, and there's nothing that anyone else can do about it they cannot 
Whereas it's a subjective system, very easy for minorities or for those less well-off to be marked down. Totally objective system. So, so this whole celebration of it becoming a little less objective and what appears to be, there's no evidence of this so far, but there is certainly a developing trend. Sorry, there's, there's evidence of the gender bias. The report on this says there was gender bias. That's they didn't correct it. That's, they're explicit. That's straight that's, up. That's what we know. But when we're looking at schools being marked down and there appears to have been some sort of thing against the private schools and certain public schools, kind of high-performing schools, that's that, I think, at the very least, we should get an explanation for. And the department will end up giving an explanation for this. They've said they won't. But this is going to court. This <laughs> There's absolutely no way this isn't going to court. And the chance of them being able to keep that algorithm secret. Now, but here's the thing, Michael. Let's say it does come out. And yeah. it comes out that they engaged in a process of leveling. And they systematically moved down certain high-performing schools in order to go into worse areas and move that up. Yeah. I don't know how a court is going to take that. Well, it's grossly unfair. I mean, it's grossly unfair. But does a court have... Does a court have any power to change those results or to force a change on them? Because if it does, that is a nightmarish scenario for everyone involved, not least of which students. But yeah. On the other hand, if they haven't been given the results they should have been given, well then, you know, I'm not sure what the solution is. And maybe they did it on the assumption that, well, those students will sit the exam. I... T- I, it's hard to listen. We're really looking into uh, crystal balls here. It's hard to see how, by the time this gets to court, and although I think it'll get to court pretty quickly, how you're going to see how it would be possible, practically speaking, for the court to say to the CAO, "Listen, we're going to have to just stop where you are now, rejig everything, put the points back." You know, however. There's no reason to suggest that there couldn't be some kind of financial punishment uh, applicable to the department. Because I, I think that the court can take into account what just the expectation of basic fairness. And if that... Now, who knows how courts go these days in the United States when they've looked at uh, situations regarding positive discrimination. The difference there is that those... When there was positive discrimination of quota systems in the States, that was set up by legislation. There's no legislation here which allows or allows for this to happen. This was supposed to be a process of trying to mimic uh, the results of the Leaving Cert, trying to accurately get... And if... Now, and as, we, as you said, Gary, we don't know. We don't know yet what's going on. There appears to be a pattern. It may be, because this does happen, that when you actually sit down and start to go through the numbers one by one by one, the pattern evaporates. That happens. Maybe when you actually start seeing, you know, there's a case here, there's a bit of a case there, but on the whole, there's not much of a strong case. I'm sceptical about that. But I certainly know that that may be the case. But if there is pretty strong indications that there were, that there was jiggery-pokery in order to produce an outcome which was not where the same, shall we say, a parity of ability and work didn't produce a parity of results across schools. That would be grossly unfair. 
and the citizen and the children have certainly a, a right of expectation of fairness from the state. And this has been frustrating. I think that's, but it's, 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 it's not even, although I think that if they did, if the state, if the department did do that, that was wrong. It's the reaction of these people, which is just so nasty. I mean, I did see people saying things like, oh, these children can rest easy knowing that they have privilege. And just on, on that basis, the idea of privilege, that you have unfair access to something. Surely if you were going to take that, you'd have to take that on a case-by-case basis. And say so that some people will have unfair access to certain things. And considering you're now talking about children who you believe have been unfairly removed from something... That doesn't seem like privilege at all. No, not 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 much Maybe privilege. It's the just, opposite no. of privilege. But it, but Gary, isn't that also a, a, a worrying example of this poisonous critical theory entering into the discourse in Ireland that we seem to be importing from the United States? This the, just the very notion of privilege as part of the the tool that we carry in our knapsack of analysis. Let's check your privilege. Make sure you stay in your lane. It's just so fucking horrible. It, I think it's uh, it's just. I think they've if if they have done this, uh, it, and uh, there's a strong smell of it about this. I think they made a really stupid error here. I, here's the thing. It looks like they did it, and they may not have, but it looks like they did. To which all I can say is, how fucking stupid are these people? That they thought, okay, so they did it. Did they think it wouldn't come to light? I don't know. If you talk to people in the business, they will tell you that this is, as we know, this is nothing to do with the exams commission. This is all the department. And if you talk to people in the business, they will tell you that this is what the department has been dreaming about for years. Their element, their people in the department who wanted, they don't like the leaving cert. They don't like exams generally, but they really don't like the leaving cert. And the idea that you could get in there and do all sorts of social corrections, privilege corrections, and produce the... You see, this is the difference, isn't it, Gary, between equity and equality. Equity demands that we treat te- that we treat people differently in order to achieve equality. And this is about equity. And that's why it's so rotten. It's also... Potentially, I don't know if the, uh, I suspect that it's not the case because we're talking about high pointers here. But we know that in the United States, that in particularly in the higher and more difficult, uh, should I say that, the higher competition and more difficult subjects in the universities, that those students who get a leg up academically to get into those courses tend not to thrive. It goes back to the mismatch theory, which at this stage there's a hell of there's a hell of a pretty decent evidence about it. Uh, Glenn Lowry talked about it in his pod, the, that chat we had with him a, a month or so ago. So you're not actually doing kids any benefit, any favour if you drop them into a class where they're, say, in the bottom, the bottom decile. Because if you're in the bottom decile, of a, of a difficult technical class, whether say it's physics or physics or mathematics or medicine, whatever, then you are more likely to end up dropping out or failing. 
I don't think that's I think most from ability point of view I think most courses in Ireland are overappointed. Oh this is nothing to do with anything but I saw that someone was complaining that the points for theatre and drama in Trinity had gone up to something like was it 550 or 570 or something can you imagine that why would you need 550 550 points to do theatre and drama in Trinity there's two theories there one is that you know you could have it for 200 but you only have so many places and so you keep moving the points up until oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah 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 the other is that there's a uh, artificial constriction of the supply by some of the universities on certain courses and it's not that they can only teach a certain amount it's that they have decided there will only be this certain amount but the irish the irish third level sector is some sort of kafka-esque nightmare and i honestly don't know enough about it to be able to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong with parts of it but um, and that thing about all of this discussion is in a funny kind of way it's, it's so because really the, the only function of the leaving cert is as a, distribu- a distribution mechanism for limited places at third level and it really shouldn't matter whether or not the idea that you're giving higher grades or other should give the grade and you, you shouldn't there's no need to adjust them year on year on year so they all look the same the important thing is that they they are consistent within the year because if no if there's very few people getting 600 points well that would simply mean that the number of points required for the the top courses will fall to 580 it's that's all that even sort is now practically speaking it's just as a methodology to 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 allow for the allocation of of, the, of spaces because the number of spaces is restricted and for status reasons or for number reasons whatever reasons but anyway that's uh, my little rant on that over with I just think it's bizarre and uh, yes I, and it's a story I confidently expect that we will return to when the first uh, cases are lodged with the high court and the damages are being sought you know just when the government's spending another god knows how many billion on their winter covid plan which looks like being a bang up success as well here's, here's an interesting question though if this happened who directed it to happen mm. so you, you have two options you have that it came from the politicians or it came from the civil servants now i would suspect it came from the civil servants the problem there is if it came for the civil servants and the politicians let it go true or didn't even notice it was happening, that does not speak well about the politicians involved. And it would be more than just Norma Foley. Oh, no, Norma Foley will have nothing to do with this. Effectively. Everything that was being done with this, I think, I think essentially had, was, was done already. I think the only thing Norma Foley could do now is call them in, haul them over the cause, get the real story out of them and say, no, stop everything, go back. It shouldn't, I mean, presumably they have the, the original figures, shall we say, the unmassaged figures, if these figures were massaged. And do those, but again, Jesus, 
you're going to have to redo the CA offers, and you, you, instead of having kids being offered now, they're going to be they're going to lose their offers, and that's not going to be nice either. Well, maybe nice is not at this point is not possible, and just go for fairness. But who was the previous minister? Joe McHugh. I would I thought Joe McHugh was a decent minister, but I could imagine the department coming in basically baffling him with bullshit and saying, "No, no, no, we're going to guarantee." Using this algorithm and that algorithm, it'll all be about fairness and it'll be clarity, it'll be transparency, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. But maybe not. Uh, I would have thought Joe would have been careful about this kind of thing. I can't, I can't imagine. Now, I'm told, if I am telling you a lie, I'm told a lie, that Joe was one of the lonely voices in Cabinet who actually wanted the Leaving Cert exam to be sat. He didn't want this at all. He, But... Uh, it wasn't happening. Just wasn't happening. There was no support. He had there was two or three a cabinet maybe supporting him, but after yeah, that, there were some there were some theories that there were, shall we say, logistical issues, more than there were safety concerns that ended up stopping the leaving cert. Yeah, but uh, no, no word on whether or not that's true. So I think we will leave it there. We will be back on Wednesday, barring me getting desperately ill again. Can't happen two weeks in a row. Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's touching lots of wood and stuff. That's how statistics works, isn't it, Michael? That's how exactly how statistics works. Toss a penny and you'll find that out. But until then, have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All the best.